Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to a Saturday, May 27th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Fun show for you guys today. The local hour, local hours, really, because we got Atlanta Sports Guys with Garrett Chapman of 929 The Game and 247 Sports. W Millennials, go check that out for all my local Atlanta folks um, each and every week. Uh, w Millennials, uh, Garrett also covers uh, Georgia Tech now at 247, so keep up with his coverage there as well. No Max Markovich this week. We call him Max Marco Vineyard Vines because it's catchy and it sticks and it's a good bit. But hopefully Max will be back next week with us. But Garrett and I had a great time talking all things Braves, Ronald Acuna, uh, Marcelo Zuna, Mike Soroka, maybe coming up very soon. Does D-Hop make sense for the Falcons? Hawks draft ideas and uh, Capella and Anyeka and Kongwu's future uh, in Quinn Snyder's system for the Hawks. So all that more on today's edition of Atlanta Sports Guys with Garrett and myself. We've also got Go Big Orange Friday uh, with Locked On Balls and VolQuest Eric Kane. Uh, we went heavy on uh, Tennessee baseball where they're looking going into the college world series tournament here and if they can make it like will they make the ncaa tournament and uh, out of the regionals rather into the super regionals into the college world series because they have the fifth best odds uh as it stands right now going into uh the tournament and uh yeah what 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 does it look like they got eliminated early in hoover by texas a m uh what did, what happened there uh what's going on with blake burke um where Tennessee has really figured out some stuff in their lineup, <clears throat> what the rotation might look like next year, because there might be some big departures outside of uh, Chase Dillander. We talked about uh, what the lineup's looking like, uh, Tennessee missing out on Jane Riddell and Tennessee football recruiting, a uh, big weekend with 865 live here on Rocky Top. So we get into that a little bit, uh, the big names that are coming through who might uh, commit, Mir Jackson, is he the right uh, kind of... I don't want to say fallback, but just the next serious target for tight end, the four-star um, there for Tennessee as they look to rebound off the Jane Riddell to University of Georgia news. So all that and more on this jam-packed uh, local hour 
local hours rather uh, edition here on the chase Thomas podcast chase Thomas podcast network uh thank you as always for checking out the pod if you are a first-time listener though i would uh, greatly appreciate if you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player uh if you are already subscribed and a fan of this very show and you haven't already done so please 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 make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcasts if uh, you'd like to watch the show guess what it's really easy just go to youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe as we uh inch very very closely to a thousand subscribers and uh bigger and better things each and every day on this program couldn't do it without you guys and uh you listening to this very program each and every day new content for you guys every day on this very feed sports renaissance man a little bit of everything and all that good stuff. So as always, if you have any Tennessee or Atlanta sports questions you'd like me and the guys to answer on this very program, send them my way, chase them as podcast at gmail.com. And I'd be more than happy, we, I should say, would be more than happy to answer them. So all that more coming up, all kinds of fun, Atlanta sports, Tennessee balls, all of it next. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back. Go Big Orange Friday with no Ryan Shumpert, no Brent Hubs, no Austin Price, no Ethan Stone. Is that old friend Eric Kane, the Caner himself? <laughs> Locked on Vols, Vol Quest, Eric. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm hoping to live up to the standard that those guys you already mentioned have set, but uh, I'm happy to be here. I am happy that you're here, man. Are you Are you glad? Was there a part of you that you were like, man, a one and done in Hoover kind of hit the spot here? Like, <laughs> I, I'm glad that was not a full on week situation. Like, was there a part of you that kind of felt that way? Maybe a little bit. Uh, anybody that covers, you know, you know, on remote and you know covers the team on a beat and you know goes into a tournament-like setting where it's very much unknown to where you drive down on Tuesday you could be coming back that next Monday um you know it, it's the the fact that they play one game and I was able to you know get a quick not sleep and turn around that next morning come back wasn't the worst thing in the world however um you know that's when memories are made right even for people like us who are you know covering these teams you know go out and you know meet new people make connections go out to the bars have a good time but uh you know it I think it's not the end of the world for Tennessee for sure. They get a whole lot of rest, and it wasn't the end of the world for me. <laughs> I love that it's like you can't win, you can't lose if you're Tony Vitello, where it's like if you say that, like, actually, this is good, they're like, what a loser mentality. You can't be like, this is really good. But then on the flip side, you saw last year they run the gauntlet. It doesn't really matter. So no. fans aren't ever going to be happy either way. And he can't really win with however he comments on it. Because if he looks on the bright side, I saw the response of, like, you can't have that attitude. Like, of course you wanted to go far. It's like, I think it's okay. I think Vitello could look on the bright side here and just be like, actually, this is pretty nice. I'm glad we actually, because it really doesn't mean anything in terms of, I mean, I guess with hosting, it would have been nice to host, but if what it looks like right now where you get the best number two seed regional of anybody, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good place to be in where you'll probably be favored to get out of it. It's okay. I think it's it's fine. You know, it's really not the end of the world. Yeah. Like if you won a couple of games, you, you maybe could have picked up a hosting spot. Um, so, so you were definitely playing for something. And every, every time you go out there and you put on that jersey, you are playing to win the game. There, you know, I understand the offense approach on Tuesday was abysmal. I understand you lost to Texas A&M. I understand fans are frustrated. It's a, you know, I get it. Um, but it's not like the team is trying to lose. So 
Uh, but, you know, last year you were so good. You were the number one overall seed. You could have lost on that Wednesday game and, and still been the number one overall seed. Last year, it really didn't matter. This mm. year, you know, it, it, it there were some implications and everything. But uh, the, the thing you got to remember, you know, the, the, the SEC tournament in Hoover, it's such a spectacle. It's so much fun. It's it's why we love college sports, right? But what happens next weekend is so much more important than what anything that happens in Hoover. And so you just kind of have to kind of have to remember that, you know, be competitive, want your team to win, but knowing when they do lose in Hoover, it's going to be okay because what happens the next weekend is going to be much more important. Yeah. For me as a fan, I'm just looking at it as like, I kind of wanted it to be over. It's like the midweek games where I like, I don't like having to pay attention to this during my week. Like I, It's not do win or go home, and this is just completely selfish on my part, but I'm sure there was a lot of Tennessee fans and not just you and I who were like, let's just go ahead and get out of here. Let's just uh, <laughs> let's just move on and get ready for the actual tournament that matters. Um, but I I don't know. I just I don't think the sky is falling. Like you said, the approach of the plate was weird. I mean, why do you think they had that, especially against a pitcher who they shelled a couple months prior? Like, what did you learn and glean from their approach and why they attacked the way that they did that ended up only being with uh, Christian Scott, of course, with irony being what it is, Christian Scott being your lone hit uh, after the crap that uh, a lot of Tennessee fans have thrown at Christian Scott all year long. Yeah. He's him and Hunter Inslee, man. Two of my favorite stories of this year, Christian Scott more Mm -hmm. so than Inslee because Scott's a fifth year senior, but anyway, yeah. um, You know, this team struggles and I'm not breaking any news here. You know, this team struggles, against lefties because they are such a left-handed hitting lineup. It struggles against lefties who can locate a fastball early in a count and then has a breaking ball uh, that can go away from those left-handed hitters. And, you know, Tennessee struggled with with, with Wayne Singh on, on Tuesday. Tennessee struggled mm-hmm. with that freshman at Georgia that came in in game two. And, you know, both of those guys had horrendous stat lines. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's fact, right? I mean, this guy Tennessee shelled earlier in the year. He had a 5.98 ERA coming into that game. There was a lot of reason to think Tennessee was going to have a good day, but sometimes, you know, you just kind of get in that funk, and from the left, you know, hitting from the left side, you just can't hit any breaking balls, and that's kind of where it's kind of where Tennessee was. Now, should they have managed a couple more hits? Should they have put some more guys on base? Absolutely, they've done it before. I mean, it's not like they can't mm-hmm. hit left-handed pitching. It's just sometimes they get in that groove, kind of like Tennessee basketball offensively, to where you know nothing's kind of falling. So. I thought the approach was really, really bad on Tuesday. Um, you know, top to bottom of the order. Um, I didn't think anybody really looked good. They had some, they had some hard hit balls towards the end that it was right at people, and, and that's that's the sport of baseball. Sometimes, if it makes you feel any better, Texas A and M one hit South Carolina earlier in the week as well. So they're kind of they're they're doing some things down there in Hoover. It's funny too. Like I was at uh, Yeehaw with my wife, uh, the Georgia game that you're talking about, and. When he was throwing, I just I jotted down and like people were getting really upset with how that game was going around where it was like Tennessee just could not do anything with it. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, Tennessee is losing this game. Like this is absolutely happening. Like Blake Burke, who we'll talk about in a second, obviously had a really rough time in that particular game. But the off speed stuff and when Tennessee just their attack attack mentality their aggressiveness, those kind of pitchers, you don't see them as often because that's just not the name of the game. It's velocity. It's throwing hard. It's mm-hmm. You see a lot more nasty stuff and just more things that would lend itself to Tennessee uh, just being uh, one of the, the sport and conferences better offenses. 
But when you have guys like that and thrown at you, it just Tennessee, for whatever reason, that even going back to last year, that's just been a struggle for them, those kind of pitchers, for whatever reason. Yeah, it has. And I mean, the guy that pitched on Tuesday, he's got some decent stuff. He just hadn't had a good yeah. year, you know, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you if you can locate a fastball early in the count, then throw a breaking ball and, and get these guys just chasing. And, you know, you, you got a scouting report as well, right? Everybody mm-hmm. knows that Maui Ahuna is a free swinger. They're going to throw him junk mm-hmm. and he's going to swing at it, right? Everyone mm-hmm. knows that you know Blake Bark with two strikes is not very good. You know everybody knows that Jared Dickey is even um, he he'll chase some things out of the zone as well. So um, you know they have a scouting report just like Tennessee does. But as Tony Vitello said after the game, and I mean he was frustrated obviously, and he said it the the, the polit- politically correct way, but said hey you know what that guy did over there for Texas A&M that wasn't in any scouting report we had. You know that we mm. we did not expect that whatsoever. So. Um, just, just kind of one of those things. The, the guy, the, the pitcher against, uh, at Georgia, you know, he, I think his fastball was topping out at like 91. I mean, it was like 90. Yeah. He was not throwing hard. He was throwing junk, kind of the same thing, but a little bit different because the guy on Tuesday certainly had some stuff. So, um, yeah, ultimately Tennessee's proven they can hit that this year, but they have, when they've struggled the worst top to bottom of the order, it's been against a Southpaw who, uh, just has a nice little breaking ball that can, you know, get get Tennessee swinging and unfortunately we've seen that a couple of times yeah and we might not see that uh in the regional we might not see it till the super regional like it's gonna pop back up but yeah I don't know I just I think if that's an issue it's much bigger issue if you're not hitting the like Tennessee's power is there and the biggest thing too I think that took almost the whole season but understandably so when you lose eight of nine guys in the lineup is that you actually found your new go-to lineup like you kind of figured it out with Dickie at the three Maui Ahuna bat leading uh batting lead off Hunter Ensley really settling into that number two spot mm-hmm. um I mean I guess now it's a little bit more in flux because Burke has now been moved down the order and I wonder if that's going to be the norm going forward I don't know if you know if that's what it looks like for him is it just do you think that that sits, or do you think he's back in that middle meat of the lineup come regional time? I think it sits for right now. I mean, he's not yeah. done anything to give you re- – and I know they're not playing this weekend. Obviously, there won't be a midweek yeah. or anything, but just kind of the way he's swinging the bat, I mean, uh, I, I would assume that's sticking. You know, Griffin Merritt as well. Nobody had a good day Tuesday, but yeah. you know, Griffin Merritt's resurgence as well at, at the DH spot kind of gives you reason to say, okay, well, you can hit him fourth. You can hit him fifth if needed. Yeah. Um, And, and so that makes it a little bit easier. So – um, you know, things can change and, and we'll talk and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll try to get some info, you know, before regional play starts. But if I was a betting man right here a week out, I would just assume that, you know, Burke's probably going to be hitting in that seventh because that's, you know, he's just, he's not giving you much right now. And, mm-hmm. um, he's been really bad away from Lindsey Nelson. He's been really bad in conference play. And, and it's a shame because he's got the sweetest swing. Um, he's got the highest potential in terms of being a hitter on the team, in my opinion, but kind of the same thing, you know, I was saying earlier, you know, teams, teams got the scout on him this year. He's in a much different mm-hmm. position to where he's not DHing. He's not coming off the bench as a pinch hitter to where I think last year he had like 11 home runs and 92 at bats or whatever. It was really good. Yeah. He was getting, you know, the, the, uh, he was getting all the comparisons and everything of, uh, of some of the greats. Right. And in this year he's playing every single day in the field and he's, Gosh, he's learning how to do that as well at first base. It's not easy. It makes you think how fortunate Tennessee was with Luke Lipsius, my counterpart on the porch every single <laughs> week. 
you know, mm-hmm. manning that first base. And so, um, you know, he, he's got, he, he can work out of it. Um, hopefully he can give you something of regional play, but as far as Blake Burke is right now concerned, I would assume that he's probably going to be, you know, hitting seventh and boy, if he can come up with some big hit, that'd be huge because then you got Christian Scott, you got Cal Stark down there in the bottom of the order. Um, you feel good about the guys at the top. And then of course, depending on the day, you'll see if Merritt and Denton and Christian Moore can give you something right there in the heart. Do you think every pitcher is comfortable with Cal Stark to this point, or are you a little nervous going into regional time with him no, being the everyday guy? No, I think they're comfortable. I mean, he's, okay. he's been the everyday guy now for, gosh, I want to say maybe two months. Yeah. Um, they were. I, I give Tennessee coaches credit, man. They were they were trying. They were trying everything. They were trying to you know push the right buttons. They were trying to you know figure the right puzzle pieces in. And you know, <laughs> Jared Dickey hadn't caught since fall, right outside of yeah. some bullpens. And they were like, we, we got to try something. And so they put him behind the plate and they rolled with that for a couple of weeks. And they're like, okay, well, you know, that's not going to work. Let's put him back in the outfield. And let's just, let's just go with Cal Stark. We know Cal Stark is going to be good defensively. And whatever mm-hmm. he gives you at the plate is a plus. Also, what he gives you at the plate is far more encouraging than what, you know, Charlie Taylor could at this point in time. So I think, I think Cal Stark's handled the pitching staff really well. I think Cal Stark has shown that. Gosh, that the pitcher could help you out at all. He could throw out a lot more runners. Um, mm. You know, that's something that I think a lot of people overlook. Like, you know, controlling the run game, it's not just the catcher, it's the pitcher, too. And Tennessee's pitchers are so slow to the plate. But I think he's done a really nice job. And offensively, even though the average isn't where you want it to be, you know, his approach at the plate, most of the time, uh, he gives you good ABs. And, and that's, again, that's just a plus, you know, with, with anything he does behind the plate. If you had to forecast and kind of think about like if you're writing um, the VolQuest story uh, about a month from now of like how Tennessee won the College World Series based on them having the fifth best odds going into the tournament, uh, which is pretty good, pretty surprising, but pretty good. And everyone obviously made the Ole Miss comparisons because I think their records were identical at one point through a point in the year where they were like, they're exactly the same. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's nice. But all right. Like... <laughs> I, I don't know what you can really take from that. We'll see. And the odds of it going back to back like that. I mean, the odds are good. That it's going to be an SEC team. That's something we've learned the last couple of years. So, yeah. uh, I mean, with the conference playing the way that it is, I mean, that's always a good bet at this point. But like, if you had to, based on every game you've watched this year, you've seen how this team's evolved. You've seen how this team's grown. You've seen how really the rotations had to adjust on the fly to what the best three guys are for Vitello and we're still figuring that out um, come regional time but and that was the thing I mean you had the video the three aces before the year you had that I mean and it's just that's baseball right like capital T capital B and I just I wonder what the story is like for you like if you had to do it what do you think it ultimately ends up being as to why Tennessee won won it all this year well I've said this all season long even during the struggles um, even, you know, when they turn it around, closing with 15, you know, winning 15 of the last 19, 11 of the last 15 SEC games. I said it then. I said it Tuesday. I've said it this week. Um, Tennessee has all the ingredients to win a College World Series. I mean, they do. Now, it's a fact you got to go out there and win the games, right? I mean, it's why you play the games. But, I mean, on paper, even though the, the starting pitching maybe has taken a back step, I mean, it's not maybe about it. They, they've taken a backseat to what they were last year, understandably. Um, but but mm. they've been really sharp, in my opinion, for the most part, the last um, you know last four or five weeks. Uh, you know the, the bullpen continues to be one of the better ones in all of college baseball. Versatility with a guy like Seth Halverson, with a guy like Chase Burns, with a guy like Cannon Sewell, um, AJ Russell now as a true freshman can do a lot for you. So you have the arms, 
in terms of ingredients. You know, the Braves won 14 straight divisional titles, you know, when I, when I was a kid. And they did it because they had arms. Tennessee has mm. arms. Is it as dominant as it was last year? No, but the Tennessee still has arms. And so because of that, Tennessee has the ingredients to go out and win. Tennessee just got to go be able to hit away from home. And it's unfortunate because um, I don't have the stat. Brent Helps pulled it up, and he looked it up the other day. But, you know, Tennessee, outside of, you know, three games where Tennessee scored double figures, you know, the Vols are averaging only like three runs a game away from Lindsey Nelson yeah. Stadium. And that's just not good. And, you know, you got to be able to pick up some timely hits. You got to be able to hit deep in the counts and all that. And so I think if the arms, the arms are good enough to take you there, but the offense has got to help you out some because Dolander is going to give up a run in the first inning. We know that it's been pretty much almost every start, <laughs> you know, can, can he go lights out or can he give up, you know, maybe one or two more runs for the start, but your offense gets your back. You know, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing from here on out. So um, the offense has just got to hit away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and it's not done that as consistently as you'd want so far this year. But still, it's got all the makings to do just that. But um, I, I still think this this team could do it. I, am I expecting it? No, but I think this team could do it. It's got the ingredients to do it, and it's got a good coach. And and so you know we'll see what happens. I want to do some lightning round Tennessee baseball questions for you. Okay. Guy, you've been wrong about. Before the guy you were wrong about, I should say, about uh, when it comes to Tennessee baseball coming into this year and what actually happened, and guy you were right about that Tennessee fans gave you flack for before the year. <clears throat> guy I was wrong about Christian Scott. Um, mm. He he was getting opportunities and opportunities and opportunities, and I'm just sitting there. And I, I didn't write this, but I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I mean, gosh, you just continue to run him out there. What like what are you doing? And then obviously we've seen what he's done. Uh, person I was right about. Um, Probably Jared Dickey, and that's not that's not really like a hot take or anything. I think we knew Jared Dickey was going to be one of the most important hitters on this team. But yeah. um, I remember coming in preseason, I was like, guys, Jared Dickey's going to be your starting, you know, center fielder this year, likely to begin things. And he were like, what, what, what are you talking about? Why, why, why? And I think he started the opener and left, but I think game two and game three, he was in center field, and and they tried mm -hmm. it out. And of course, it was about trying to get those puzzle pieces to work, right? It was like, okay, you got Booker's versatility in left. You got Christian Scott that's got the arm in right. Dickey's fast enough. He can play center field, all that. Ultimately, he, his home was in left field. But uh, knowing Jared Dickey was going to be a starting outfielder and not a catcher, not a DH, um, I guess I was quote-unquote right about that. But uh, Dickey, his importance, and then Christian Scott, his uh, man, his, his his turnaround, It's been it's been fun to watch. And I just feel like he's a he's a leader on this team. And I mean, Jared Dickey was someone, it's funny, you and I were both right about that. When I was telling folks before the year, and Ryan and I would talk about it, where I was like, I was yelling at the TV early on, where I'm like, why is Jared Dickey not leadoff? Like, from the get-go, like, I don't know what Miley Hunter is going to be, but like, it's the, you're Braves guy, you understand this too, where it's like, there's a reason Ronald Acuna is batting leadoff, and one of the biggest reasons is that he's unequivocally the Braves' best hitter, and you yeah. want to get him as many at-bats as possible. And I'm like, with so much turnover on this in this lineup from a season ago i didn't understand the logic of trying to force feed ahuna at the top or just trying different guys i'm like you want jared dickey like him in the four hole you're just costing at bats and i'm like i don't think there's a guy in this lineup that i trust every day more than jared dickey like whatever you got to do he has to be in the everyday lineup and he has to get the most at bats because he's the one i would put the most like he's just the best all-around hitter whether it's power whether it's just getting in base walks whatever like i just I didn't understand that early on and he was batting leadoff for a little bit. And now he's back in that three hole, which is fine. But like, oh. if you moved him to one and you fiddled around a little bit more, even to the number two hole, I wouldn't hate that either. I just, 
he was the guy that I was just like, I don't understand why. If if you didn't end this season with Jared Dickey getting the most at-bats of any Tennessee baseball player, if with health permitting, something went wrong. Something something went wrong, and Tony and I need to have a conversation about the lineup <laughs> card before these games. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, right? I think he, he had lead off, uh, you know, those first couple of games when Maui was out, and, and then mm-hmm. Maui came back, and Maui was hitting six, and, you know, Dickey was up there, and, and then Maui got put to the bottom of the order a couple of times this year. And I think Dickie yeah. lead off. And then most recently it was Burke that was hitting lead off. And then, you know, that's, that's not going to last. Um, the, the thing <laughs> I would say now I, I'm with you though. Yeah. Like I love Jerry Dickey hitting lead off. I did. Um, but now, and kind of knowing who this lineup is mm-hmm. and the way this lineup is functioning right now, I kind of, I kind of want to leave Dickie in the three hole because if you move him mm-hmm. to lead off, who's going to hit three, right? Burke is not hitting consistently enough right now. More not hitting consistently enough right now. Uh, Griffin Merritt, I don't think so. You know, Hunter Inslee, I love him in the two. Maui, if you're moving Maui out of leadoff, he's got to go to the bottom. So right now, I don't mind it as much, but he is without a doubt Tennessee's best hitter. As you mentioned earlier, you know, contact, power, all, you know, left, right, center. He's he's just a professional hitter, and that's why he's going to get yeah. drafted this year, and I can't wait to see it. I thought Christian Moore would be better. I think that's one I got wrong, as I thought he's been fine. Like, it's not like Christian Moore has had a bad year, but I thought he would be a star. And he's not a star. He's solid. Like, Jarrell Ortega was better than Christian Moore uh, this past year. And I don't think I would have predicted that before the year. Well, I mean, they wanted – let's see. I'm trying to pull up the stats. They wanted uh, Christian Moore to take that spot last year, right? And, yeah. And he, Jarrell Ortega was like, nah, I'm good. I'm not leaving it. This is my spot. Um, yeah. Christian Moore, again, he's a guy that I think has potential to be you know drafted. Um, I, he, he's a guy that – has been huge at points and times this year. I mean, he, he's got power, right? And I mean, he had that one stretch a couple weeks ago where he had like f- a home run in four straight games and uh, six home runs total during that stretch and all that. He's got versatility. I, I, he can hit two. He can hit, you know, four. He can hit five. He can hit towards the bottom. But again, there's been, you know, a lot like this lineup at points and times this year. There's been stretches where it's like, man, there's. Uh, th- there's a lot, uh, uh, you know, a lot to be desired because he's just kind of absent. And he'll he'll give you, yeah. uh, you know, some advance that just don't look very good. But um, overall, for you know, Christian Moore, you know, he's hitting 300 on the season. He's got double digit home runs. He's got 40 RBI, and that's great and all. But I- I'm like you. I think at points in times you thought you were going to get more, and, yeah. and for him as well, m- much like Blake Burke and and a little bit like Jared Dickey. You know, he's he went from a position to where. You DH some, you pinch hit some. Mm. You were not an everyday player, and now you're playing second base every single day. And believe me, I mean he's he's had his issues at points and times this year, and just making some dumb decisions or some errors and all that. But you know, going and playing the field every inning, going to bat every inning, it's just it's just different, right? So I, I think the the expectations we had on some of these guys as true freshmen last year because they were so good. You know the the roles changed a little bit, and they're still good players, but there's there's an adaptation period, and I think you know Burke and Moore they're kind of going through that as well. Next year's three man rotation will be who Eric Kane. Okay, um, again a lot can happen between now and then, but um, I expect Drew Beam to be in there. I expect Andrew Lindsay to be drafted. I think AJ Russell will be in there, and I don't know. Um, Good question. Uh, we'll see what Chase Burns is, you know, what his role is. We'll see kind of what's going on with Chase Burns. Maybe you go to the transfer portal, but I, I think right now I'd be comfortable in saying that Drew Beam is in there and I think A.J. Russell's in there. Knowing that Dolander's drafted, knowing that Lindsey's probably drafted, 
What's the um, odds that Lindsay's back? Do you think? Oh, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll continue to ask that. I, I guess I just, and maybe this is wrong on me. I guess I've just always assumed that he was going to be gone and going to be drafted. Yeah. In the last month and six weeks, I think he's, you know, proven like, hey, I, I am a draftable player. And so I would say that the odds of him being back would be slim because I think he's going to be drafted. But there's certainly a chance. And if, gosh, mm-hmm. if he's back next year, that's, I mean, that's huge. He's he's been he's really been Tennessee's anchor, kind of been Tennessee's yeah. rock in the in the starting rotation the last you know two months. So I would say they're probably slim right now. I'll continue to ask and everything, but I, I've always assumed that he was going to be a draftable player this year. And the way he's pitched here lately. It, lo- it looks very much like it. Blake Burke and Christian Moore are both on this team next year. True or false? Yeah, uh, true. I think so. True. Okay. Do you think Blake Burke has long-term issues, or do you think he figures it out while at Tennessee? Do you think he just is not the star that you thought, and he's actually like a seventh, eighth, sixth guy that just a good complimentary piece, or do you think there's still enough that we saw in his freshman year that he could still be the meat of the order, best hitter on the team? Most <clears throat> consistent hitter. Um, maybe he, w- I'm going to make it my own. Maybe he will never be the most consistent hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was phenomenal beginning of the season, non-conference play. I mean, it was like, I mean, I even wrote, I was like, he's you know, without a doubt, Tennessee's best hitter right now. It's not even close, yeah. all this type of stuff, but I don't think he'll ever be the hitter consistently that Jared Dickey is. Now, yeah. do I think that he could hit for average? Do I think he can hit for power in the middle of that order? Um, absolutely. Um, he's, he's just got a. he's got such quick hands. He's got good eyes. He's got a sweet swing. Um, I just think that he needs to work on hitting breaking balls. Uh, And that it sounds so elementary. Um, And again, I'm not a hitting coach or anything, but it sounds so elementary, but I just think he needs reps and reps and reps on hitting breaking balls. He can hit a fastball with the best of them. So um, I don't think he will ever be Tennessee's best hitter. I think he can be a good hitter and I think he can get drafted and all that. Um, but he's he he's much better than what he's playing this year. But he he needs to go and play summer ball. He needs to get a ton of abs this summer and just kind of, kind of figure it out and come back as a a different maybe a different mindset at the plate for next year. Yeah, I like it. Um, you're gonna hate this. We're not. It's this is like gonna be your Austin Price uh, percentages question. <laughs> okay. The starting one through nine next year will feature who, Eric, and then. This is a two-parter. Who do you think who's been like a Jake Kendro guy who has sat this whole year finds their way into the lineup? Who do you think is most likely to be an important everyday player for Tennessee next year? Not um, pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Um, and obviously, everybody knows watching and listening to this, so much can happen <laughs> between now and then, all right? Transfer portal, draft, recruiting, um, all that type of stuff. So much will happen. This is going to be completely wrong, but I'll, I'll give it a roll. Um, yeah. All right, I think you're right now. I'll say Zane Denton will come back. I bet he's playing third base. Okay, he's got a he's got a COVID year. Uh, your shortstop will be Portal or Jake Kendrow. Second baseman will be Moore. First baseman will be Burke. Your catcher will be Cal Stark. Your outfield. I'm just going to give you three outfielders. Yeah, your this outfield gonna be dicey will here. be Inslee. Okay. It will be uh, Dryling. It will be Tears. Um, and you can and, do a DH for one of these guys, too, if you want yeah, to yeah. think they'll be more likely to be in the DH. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, 
we'll see, you know, we'll see what they get from the portal. I think that, you know, Tennessee's going to be active in the portal. Chapman's going to be in that conversation. We'll see if Stanwich comes back. Stanwich would have pushed for playing time this year. Um, Do you think he comes back? I think he does right now. Uh, The plan's always been for him to come back. I mean, of course, you know, we'll see once fall comes if he's here, but the plan always has been for him to come back. So uh, that's what I'll go with right now. But uh, again, there's a lot to happen. I think Tennessee will go to the portal. I think Tennessee will upgrade at some positions. Um, a player, I, I, I guess um, you kind of mentioned Jake Kendra. I think Jake Kendra is a player. I think Jake Kendra will play. Yeah. They, they like him. He bats from the right side. Just about getting reps, you know, and all that. And um, I don't think he was ready at the beginning of the season to go out there and mm-hmm. you know, start against Arizona and at Grand Canyon and, and you know that tournament there. So that's why you know Austin Jazlove kind of got the nod. But I think Jake Kendra is going to be a guy that can play versatility as well. He can play third. He can play second. He can play first. Short. Um, yeah. I, they like him, so I think he's going to be a guy that didn't see an awful lot of time this year, but we'll see a lot next year. Interesting. Yeah, I like Kendra, too, in his spot starts. I, Dryling, I think, will be the star of oh, this yeah. young group. I think Dryling's the one. Dryling is uh, the Drew Gilbert who was promised uh, <laughs> in a couple of years. <laughs> Dryling, man, like he, he's got so much promise. I love his yeah. swing. I, it's so quick. Um, it just, you know, there, there, there's a reason why he hadn't played much outfield this year. He's just, you just got to yeah. get reps and reps and reps. And he's, he saw a little bit of time. He's had his struggles, but he'll get better. Um, but I, I'm with you, man. I think, I think he's Dylan got first round upside, be a, right? Like he's got first round upside. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think so for yeah. sure. Um, he's the best player out of the state coming out of a high school and, yeah. you know, was highly rated by perfect game and all that. So yeah, I, um, I think he's going to be a star and I just, you hope that Kavaris Tears can can stay healthy and can yeah. you know I I hate it for him this year because he was yeah. playing into an everyday role and then a couple of injuries and now people are like is is he hurt and it's like no he's available it's just you're the point now to where everybody has their role and he's missed so much time it's just unfortunate that he's kind of regulated to the bench yeah we need Jordan Beck to just like whatever Jordan because like if you look at the pictures of Jordan Beck before like right when he got to campus versus what he looked like when he left it's just like whatever Jordan Beck did Kavaris <laughs> like that's what you got to do like that's all yeah. we need you to do whatever because he the bigger you are like you just I don't know maybe you won't get injured like just keep putting on weight putting on muscle and uh don't overextend yourself because he would fall in the outfield like Jordan Beck was I don't understand how he didn't get hurt sometimes with some of the angles and some of his slides where it scared me um no. being at the game where I'm like I just Jordan don't worry about it. Like, don't don't go and bust your ass doing that, man. Uh, I I would prefer you keep hitting dingers uh, in the middle of the lineup. But I, I don't need you to pretend that you're Andrew Jones out there. Um, but you know, I man, I just I miss Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck. Uh, One of the most underrated parts about both their games, you know, Gilbert mm. and Beck, they they were great. They were just great fielders. You know, Beck yeah. truly was. Uh, and again, I'm no scout, I'm no coach, but you know, Beg truly was kind of like a five tool type guy, right? I mean, he could do everything. Mm-hmm. He was he was fast enough, contact, power, defense. I mean, he he was fantastic. And uh, I mean, there's a reason why both those guys. I mean, Gilbert's already number one in the Astros organization up there in Double yeah. A. Uh, there's a reason why both those guys are you know first round picks and are off and running and, and doing great things. He's going to be, I, I was telling John on the pod this week where I was like, Gilbert's going to make it through and he's going to play in the majors for like 17 years and <laughs> major league baseball fans are going to hate him. Like that man <laughs> is going to be hated. And he went to the perfect organization for him. Like, well, did you see the picture of him and Jose Altuve a week ago? It's like, oh, that people yeah. that follow baseball just love that picture. Yeah. Cause he's just, he's going to embrace it and he's going to be on a good team and he's going to be a good player and he's going to piss off a lot of people. And look, Drew Gilbert, 
all-time favorite. I don't know if a Tennessee baseball player will ever top Drew Gilbert for me. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be hard. He's great. Um, we'll end up here. Uh, 865 Live coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, Eric, with Amir Jackson coming into the fold, do you think that's a realistic possibility um, from Portal, Georgia? And as a Georgia guy, I don't even know where Portal is, and I feel like I have a pretty good handle on everywhere Georgia. And I was looking at that, and I'm like, I don't actually know where that is. Like, I... Georgia has the most amount of counties of anywhere in the United States, of any state in the United States. And I thought I knew just about all of them. I don't know. Portal. I, I did not, uh, was not familiar, but he's coming up four star tight end, obviously not as high rate, highly rated as Jalen Riddell, but do you think that's realistic? And do you think it even matters like the tight end stuff? Cause I still just look at it as like in this offense, I just, it's fine. Tennessee's going to figure it out. Tennessee will find some dudes. I'm just not really worried about tight end. I will differ there just by how important that position is. Um, you know, Jacob Warren and Prince of Fan. You know, Prince of yeah. Fan was kind of interesting because he was such yeah. a Swiss, you know, Swiss Army knife. He was fun to watch. But, like, you have got to have, and I know you've heard me say this a million times, and, you know, everybody has, but, you know, the the, the tight end position, you got to be out wide, you got to be in, H back on the line. I mean, mm. and, and you got to go. You got to be. Uh, let me start over. You've <laughs> got to be able to do all those things so mm-hmm. that you don't stop and sub and allow the defense to sub. So if you can upgrade that position in terms of athleticism and, and talent and all that type of stuff, I just think, you know, the offense has already been so good. Maybe it can be better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we'll see, but to your point, I'm with you, man. Like as long as mm-hmm. Heupel's there, as long as you got a quarterback that can make the throws, like I think you're just going to figure it out. But um, as far as Amir Jackson, yeah, I think it's a, a real possibility. He needs to get in. He needs to continue to get FaceTime with, you know, Alec Ablin and, and Joey Halsley and, of course, Josh Heupel, you know, feel, you know, get comfortable around there, you know, in Knoxville. Um, you know, he's kind of target number one now, if you will, on the big board at tight end. The fact that he's going to be in this weekend I think is huge. And, you know, Tennessee's going to put the full-court press, you know, on him and some others, you know, knowing that, you know, Riddell committed to Georgia and knowing that, you know, some guys on their list are starting to go elsewhere that they're going to start you know, really trying to make a push for these guys. And so I think this weekend could be huge for a guy like Amir Jackson and seeing um, how far he can come in terms of being a real, real possibility for Tennessee for maybe, you know, obviously an OV in the in the future and then maybe a commitment down the line. Is Marcus Easley there this weekend? He is. I, I believe okay. he is. I think he's on the list as one of those guys that t- Tennessee is hoping to come in and kind of move the needle with. Yeah. Uh, Mike Matthews from Parkview. Is he there? Mike Matthews, I do not believe is coming in this weekend. I've got, I've got a list right here that I'm looking at. I don't believe Mike Matthews is coming in. But Wingo uh, is, right? I think Wingo is. Or maybe is Wingo. Who did I see? Right Wingo is not going to be here. I'm looking at this right now. Wingo is not going to be here. Okay. I don't believe I don't believe Mike Matthews is either, but Amari Jefferson is going to be here. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Do you think they end up with at least one of those three? I do. Um, Ryan Wingo's recruitment's going to be, it kind of has been, but it's going to, guys love the process and he's one of them and that that's A-OK, right? I mean, I never mm-hmm. had that ability to enjoy the process, so you do you, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think Ryan Wingo's going to be a little bit all over the place. I think Mike Matthews really does like Tennessee and, and, and you know enjoys the relationship with the coaches and all that. And Amari Jefferson's been quoted as early as this week saying, hey, Tennessee's probably behind Georgia and, and Alabama right now. But another one, Tennessee's going to put the full-court press on Amari Jefferson this week. They view him as yeah. just as important as Wingo and Matthews. 
especially as being mm. an in-state guy. And so landing one of those three, I absolutely believe it'll be possible. And, uh, you know, if I, I'm not Austin, I'm not, I'm not Matt Ray, but if I had to put kind of a guess on, I'd probably say Amari Jefferson might be the best one of those. And then maybe Mike Matthews and then Ryan Wingo, but we'll see. I mean, this weekend will go a long way for Amari Jefferson. Talking to some Georgia folks in the know, it seems like it's Georgia's not happening for Matthews. And if that's the case, it just if it comes down to just USC and Tennessee, it's like it might just depend on family, right? Like, do you want your family to be able to attend your games in the fall? Like, that might just be it. Of just USC is like, all right, we're good. The cross country flights and all that, and if he stays close to home, Tennessee is probably the best option, and he has the best relationship of all the close to home schools. That I don't know. That would be huge. I think I, my gut tells me Mike Matthews is, ends up there, and no. we'll see what that means for Amari Jefferson. But then you're that's that's the kind of five star that I think would keep a lot of fans who lost their minds in the Ball Quest message boards over Jaden Riddell uh, <laughs> over the weekend. Where if you land even Amir Jackson and or um, Amari Jefferson uh, and Mike Matthews, I think that calms a lot of nerves about like we got to close with some of these big names, and I think they will. It's early, and I think they will close with a couple of these big ones. Yeah, again, and, and this is nothing that you haven't heard already um, um, for some of the guys that covered a little closely, but you know Tennessee is recruiting in a pool now with the elite, okay? Yeah. And so you've got to do your job of closing some of those those guys, but you're not going to get every single one. Right? You're, you're, you're just not. Um, if Mike Matthews and Amari Jefferson both want to come to Tennessee, they're taking both of them, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. if it, Tennessee could probably take you know six, maybe seven offensive linemen in this class, um it, it's just you're to a point now to where you're not going to get everybody, but you still need to close your fair share. And, and there's still a ton of guys left on that board that Tennessee loves. You know, Sammy Brown's coming in as an official visitor this weekend, and uh, Tennessee would take him in, in a heartbeat. That's probably a long shot. I don't see that happening whatsoever. But uh, you know, can Tennessee close on uh, on Peyton Lewis? He's going to be in town this weekend. That'll be huge. That you know, everybody's been criticizing the running back recruitment. This is a this is a four-star, highly rated four-star guy. Can Tennessee close with him? What does Tennessee look like with Daniel Hill as well? Um and then of course you got Boo Carter that, you know, yeah. talk about a kid that loves the process. He's an in-state guy and he's a, a highly rated prospect to where, you know, if you get him and you get a couple of these other guys, I mean, this class is going to turn around, you know, in, in a hurry. And it's not like you're in a bad spot right now. So, you know, Tennessee, a lot of their most coveted targets are still out there and they are highly rated guys. And so I'm intrigued to see kind of, kind of how this ends up. But one thing's for sure, Chase, as you know, this better than anybody, this weekend is going to be monumental in terms of, you know, we'll see if they get the commitment of Lewis. Um, I have a good feeling about that one. I think that's going to be, you know, Tennessee, but we will see, you know, how many more commitments could stem from this weekend. You know, so many of those last year in the month of June and July stemmed from, this recruiting weekend has become one of the most important weekends on the calendar for Tennessee football. So it's going to be big mini golf scavenger hunts, you know, social media pictures, cookouts, all the, all, all the stuff. It's going to be a long day, but it's going to be a, a, a hopefully a good day for Tennessee. Yeah. And it's going to be different because I'm not a student there anymore because I graduated in December and it's been officially been a full semester since I've been gone. Eric, I saw uh, Jack Latrell and a couple of the other guys. I remember last year, as I was walking, I forgot why I was on campus in the library for something. And they were just walking like four guys. I couldn't tell who the other guys were, but I did this like weird, like I was like, why, what, why am I waving? Like, I, oh, I know why you're here. Like, I, what am I doing? Like, I just, I'm just going to keep going. Like, it was, what do I do with my hands? Yeah, that was 100% what happened because you would do that sometimes. Where 
I had this running joke that I told my wife where I'm like, if I see Zakai Ziegler one more time, he's going to like call campus police because I've pulled up and walked past him so many times and did the awkward wave. And I'm just like, he doesn't know me. Why am I doing this? Why am I, <laughs> why am I waving at Zakai Ziegler? This is so weird. Uh, but that's just really it. Cause you recognize him and you realize, Oh, we haven't actually done a pod together. You don't actually know who I am. So uh, I know it. you, but you have no clue who I am. Right. And it's my just favorite thing is like yeah. these guys will, you know, m- maybe know my face, maybe know my voice, you know, yeah. uh, through, through the recruiting process or whatever. But then when they get to campus, you know, they go into media settings and so they recognize you. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you'll see them somewhere out of that place. Like you'll see them around town mm-hmm. or you'll see them on campus, like walking up the hill or something. And they're like, I, I know you. Who is that? And you're like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, well, you know, what, what's what's up? What's going on? And they're like, do I know you? It's just that, that's when it gets really awkward. Dude, Christian Conyer was in line with me behind uh, at a movie at the movie theater like two months ago with my wife, and I like turned and I was like, "What's up, Christian?" And I, I don't know why I said I was just like, "What's up, Christian?" And I was like, "Good luck this spring." And my <laughs> wife was like, "Who was that?" And I was like, "Oh, that's the freshman DB, uh, Christian Conyer from Kentucky." And she was like, "Oh, okay." But like no one else, he like when you're that young in Knoxville, you can kind of hide out in public. But I'm like, yeah. I got to get off message boards that I just recognize Christian Conyer out in public. <laughs> this is this is a little ridiculous. I I know too much, too much stuff in stored in my head. Eric Kane, we can find you on Locked On Vols YouTube. Go subscribe today. Uh, new content Monday through Friday on the great Locked On Vols podcast that I love listening to each and every day. You can also listen to you on the Vol Quest uh, podcast. You get the mailbag. Uh, it's just a better show when you're hosting Brent. It's just <laughs> a lot going on when Brent's leading it. It's just you never know where it's going. And you can tell Brent I said that because I'm still a little bitter over the Andy Griffith Matlock conversation that he threw me <laughs> under the bus for a, lot, a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, there you go. VolQuest.com. Subscribe. This is the best time uh, to subscribe to VolQuest with so much stuff going on right now with Tennessee athletics and recruiting and baseball and all that good stuff. Eric, thank you so much. Have a great holiday weekend and I will talk to you very soon. Chase, appreciate it, man. Thanks as always. All right, hello. Welcome back. Chase Thomas Podcast taping this. Uh, wow. Taping this outside with sunglasses on. So for the good folks on YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast, they get uh, a different kind of venue um, here on this uh, late Friday uh, here. Uh, the Dusk uh, edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where uh, I am joined by fellow Atlanta sports guy, Garrett Chapman of 99 The Game and 247 Sports. Garrett, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Not as good as you. Chilling outside, hanging out, taking in the sunshine, getting some vitamin D. Dude, I couldn't even find a table at this park. Like, I'm on a... Is it just sitting stop. in your lap right now? I'm hold yes, it's sitting in my lap. I'm holding the microphone up with one hand, looking at you in the other. Don't ever think that I don't put in the work. This is commitment. This is this is commitment right here, folks. Is being like I'm not dealing with traffic and everything else. I'm just I'm diving in. Um, I, I have my road gear just in case, you know. That's impressive. I'm impressed. Color me impressed, man. This is awesome. Well, it's a terrible angle because this camera is awful. Not your so most like, flattering angle, you know. I mean, it's I'm not used to seeing you without a hat. Yeah, but here we are. I'm looking <laughs> a little white. Look a little white. You are a sun. little white. You're used to having your your long sleeves on, man. Make sure you don't mm. get sunburned. Well, I think Gotta it's be also careful. just like 
it's like the Tennessee logo. I got the Tennessee orange. It kind of washes me out a little bit. But, you know, as uh, a redhead, you know all about this, Garrett Chapman. You all all about you being careful with in, your... You can see in there. It's very, very brown. Very brown. Is that what it is? <laughs> um, well, Garrett Chapman, good to see you as always. Good Matt to see Parker, you, man. Uh, Vineyard Vines is up there in Martha's Vineyard over the weekend. So hopefully Max has a good time there. Uh, but we have some Atlanta stuff to talk about. And the first thing I want to ask you, are you worried about the current state of the Braves pitching staff and bullpen? And do you see it, uh, kind of hurting the Braves, uh, as we get into the summer months, because they do, I believe as it stands right now, the, the biggest lead of any division leader in major league baseball right now, or do you think it's just something that will settle and it's not, it's really a nothing burger at the moment. Uh, I'm going to fall somewhere in the middle on those because it is not certainly not a nothing burger. It's something that has cost them baseball games already this year. If, if the, the bullpen is just, it's pretty average right now. And I think it's, it's kind of blown out of proportion a little bit just because this is a first place team and, uh, the rest of the team and the rest of this roster is so good that you have an average unit and all of a sudden it becomes the, like the sky is falling or whatever. AJ Minter has not been good. I think that's been quite obvious. Um, Joe Jimenez has not been the guy that they traded for. Nick Anderson hasn't been super awesome. Colin McHugh has been above average, I would say. Um, and then Rossiel Iglesias has not been healthy outside of the last couple of weeks. And I think what you said was probably kind of accurate. Just give it some time. It'll settle in. I think the biggest thing is Minter needs to kind of settle down a little bit. He's been his last two outings, he's been shelled, really. Uh, granted, those are against two very potent lineups, but at the end of the day, it's like you got to be effective and you have to be consistent. Um, I don't think that this unit has been – that it doesn't have that consistency, but it's also been thrust to the front um, of our, well, thought process, I guess, because of all these bullpen games that we've been having due to the injuries that we've had with the starting rotation. So – the pressure has really, really ramped up on them, but it's still early in the season. I'm not, I'm not sitting here hitting the panic button on anything. Will this be a spot that Alex Anthopoulos likely adds something to at the trade deadline? Absolutely. Are we there yet? Far from it. Uh, because I think we still have some guys on this in this bullpen who are consistent, but there are some injuries. And with injuries, you just have to weather the storm. And look, the team's doing just fine right now, all things considered. I mean, that that series up in Toronto is extremely forgetful. Um, uh, they've been kind of hit or miss at times. The Dodgers series, the first two games, they kind of blew through some hit pitching advantages with the, the starting pitching. And the bullpen was to blame for a lot of that. So I think this is just something they'll have to get through. And once they get through, it will be fine. I wonder what this team looks like without Ron Acuna playing at an MVP level right now, though. Like that's something that is just, he is so much head and shoulders better than uh, the rest of this lineup and doing so much to keep the Braves afloat. I mean, him and Sean Murphy, we should mention Sean Murphy too, who has just been a home run uh, trade to this point in the season. But with everybody else banged up, um, Ron Acuna has been the just most consistent catalyst here. And just his stats are bonkers. I think he, right now you'd have to put him as your NL MVP favorite, right? Oh, no, no question. Like, I don't think it's even remotely close right now. Uh, I, I think the second place one is Sean Murphy. Uh, and Ronald Acuna runs away with it too. So 
uh, he might be the first player ever to go for a 40 60. I think, I think that was the number. Yeah. That's what he's on pace for. He's already has 22 stolen bases. He is halfway through to the 40, 40 stolen base, like that little threshold or whatever. And yeah. we're not even through the month of May. Like this dude, if he continues at this pace, he's, he's out of his mind and the power's coming back tenfold. Um, he's hitting the, just the, the cover off of the baseball. I mean, he's been playing very good ball and, his defense has left a little bit to be desired, but at the end of the day, as he's playing right field, I'm not asking. I'm asking him to throw people out at the plate um, with that beautiful arm of his, and then I want him to hit home runs and get on base. Like we saw that the other day, but I think we had five consecutive games, which is the tied for, for the most consecutive games since like 2017 or something with a, a run in the first inning. Mm-hmm. He's he's about as potent as it gets at the top of a lineup, and he's likely the scariest person in baseball right now, especially when he gets hot. And I don't even think we've seen him at like the white hot level uh, that he's capable of hitting at. Yeah, I think so. Um, what happened in the mm. Dodgers series? Are you concerned with how that series no. went in any way? What was your biggest takeaway from it? Um, just situational hitting. I mean, we saw it a little bit at the, at the very end of that game. They, um, they get guys on base. Austin Riley hits a, a beautiful double. Um, and then Travis Darno comes up as a professional at bat. And then Ozzy Albies uh, hits him home with a sack fly. <clears throat> I mean, it's just when they, they just didn't do that in games one and two. And the bats went cold and it happens. It's a long season. And these things are it's just the, the run of the mill sort of stuff. Um, the starting pitching left a little bit to be desired, I will say, uh, probably to say the least. But anytime you only score one run, I'm not expecting to win that baseball game. And this lineup, I don't care who you're playing, especially if you're playing a rookie, you need to be shelling out a little bit more uh, on the offensive side. Give your give your pitchers something to, to work with. And they just didn't do that very effectively. And you saw what happened as a result. That's a good baseball club that they were playing. That's a really good club ball club they were playing. Do you want the standing ovations for Freddie Freeman to stop? They've stopped. I think they're stopped. Okay. I think they're done now. Um, okay. I think he... If, if they're not coming back to Atlanta, I don't think. So he got it in game one and two. I'm fine with it in game one. Cool. He did a lot for this franchise. I, I love that. Game two, I'm like, all right, that's enough. Game three didn't happen. So yeah. if it happened in game three, I would be probably tweeting about it, a little annoyed. Uh, game two, I can stomach it, which is like, it's fine. It was kind of spattered throughout, scattered throughout the crowd. Um, I understood it completely last year. I completely understood it last year. This year, not so much. If they do it again, if like if he comes in the playoffs, sorry, no, not happening. Better not happen. But the Braves love their their the, the fan favorites here in Atlanta. They always love them. And um, I mean, if they want to cheer somebody on like that, I'll, I'll power to them. Are you Team Azuna or Team Will Smith on the batting stance and the bat follow through <laughs> swing incident? Because no, I was up yeah. in the press box. I was up in the press box, so I was. Um, taking pictures like trying to like see if it was going to get him like I, I took a video every single swing except for the one where he actually hit the home run and hit him in the back mm. which is a little frustrating seeing as i was ready for it until i wasn't yeah and uh, it always seems to work that way but um look you're the batter the batter the he was inside of the box especially this most recent one that i can attest to that i was sitting there staring at him um i was watching it happen it's the catcher's job to get out of the way, not vice versa. Uh, he's got a long swing, and sorry, like it's he's in the batter's box, and if he's in the as long as he's in the batter's box, he's maintaining the rules of the game. Um, I can't really fault him for anything. 
So I don't know what we would do say about it. It's just, it's a little dramatic. Um, Braves lost. Who cares? <laughs> you know, so as far as I care, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It kind of got blown out of proportion because it's the Dodgers and the Braves. Well, I also just think there it, it's happened for multiple years. Like I think there was another video of him getting plunked in the head where it's just like, yeah. it's clearly something that's been stewing. I think Ozuna has to have a better understanding that he's already just like every Braves fan and just like he's he's barely clinging to a roster spot on uh, the best team in the NL. And these are little things. Where no, it's he's, like, he's firmly on the team now. Well, hold on. We, we still have a full summer to go here. Like we, we have a Oof. while before I'm ready to just be like, all right, he's safe. He's good to go um, for the, for the long haul. But I mean, it's not like there's a lot of better options sitting there behind him, whether that's Hilliard or whoever, but um, I don't know. I just look at it and I'm like, yeah, if I'm Will Smith, I'd be annoyed too. Like I keep getting hit. It's, this is not like a common Fine. thing. It's not like everybody, Will Smith is complaining about other dudes hitting him in the head. This is clearly like um, Ozuna thing so it's like i just the response would be like i'll work on it or i'll try to like you have to at least acknowledge that there is something to it because this is not a problem for any other batter in baseball right now no other batter is having this problem with hitting the catcher in the head and this follow through this is a unique marcel azuna problem well or maybe it's it's will smith's standing a little too uh close he's dropping down a little bit too close to the batter's box I you're mean, such a homer i love this not like, really. i mean it's not even that part homer. i don't care like, it's it's fine <laughs> i'd get annoyed too if i was will smith i'd get annoyed i got popped to the yeah. bat it hurts it hurts yeah but as far as marcella zuna goes no he's i think he's kind of played his way onto the team um because he showed how valuable he can be like as much mm-hmm. as you like him or dislike him off of the field which I'm not going to, I've, I've said on this podcast how much I'm not really a fan of his. Um, like he's not a player who I'm, I'm a big Jersey guy. I love wearing jerseys of the teams and players that I love. Um, he's not a guy who I'm going to buy his Jersey, but at the end of the day, yeah. it's like, I, I said it on the airwaves at 92, nine. I said he should be cut from the team. Um, I'm, I'm changing course. No, it's like he showed how valuable he can be uh, to this team. I mean, just since last 28 days or so, I mean, he's had 18 games. He's slashing like he's has like a 343 batting average. He was batting his his batting average was so bad. It was not enough to get a DUI like he got last August. It was below the the, the legal drinking limit. And he's all the way up to 222. He's past the Mendoza. Mm-hmm. He's far past the Mendoza line. He's got an OPS of like 12 or so, 1167 or something like that in his last mm-hmm. 28 days. He's been a very good baseball player. He hasn't even just been a competent player. He's been like almost all-star level over the last month. Uh, I mean, and that's just a stark contrast. And if, if that's what we're expecting, I'm assuming for the rest of the season, then he's playing at the level of his con- his contract would suggest he, he, he needs to do more than just hit home runs. And right now he's doing that. And as long as he's mm-hmm. doing that, then I, I fine. Keep him on the roster. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's fine for right now. But yeah, let's great just for right give now. me. There's just a lot of plate appearances to go for Marcelo Zuna to completely fall off a cliff. Um, yeah, he's Katy Perry, man. He's hot and he's cold. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if he. I'm. You'd be more nervous about him peaking now because it's like I don't think he plays like this for. No, a he season. needed to peak now. He needed it. Okay. He needed to do that for him for his sake, even to be on this roster. But the thing is, we've seen the valleys, and I can't. I can't. I just only hope that the valley is not as low as it was in April. April, he had seven hits. This month he has eight home runs, mm-hmm. so the valley can't get any lower, can it? I, I really hope not. 
That'd be really bad. Because if he if this is only a flash in the pan, he's going to be here and he's going to be hitting in the month of June and the month of July. And then if he bottoms out in August, you're kind of stuck with him. And I really don't know what to do at that point. Speaking of guys you're stuck with, um, the Braves are trying to just be stuck with anyone in that number five spot. Like you got Bryce Elder, who I think hopefully will stick around. And this is not a fluke to this point because they've needed him far more than I think you or I would have predicted before the year that like yeah, Bryce Elder is like, bingo card. keep right. Like just keeping this rotation afloat. But Freed, I'm still probably more optimistic. My gut tells me Kyle Wright's not around all year that that's just going to get shut down some with the shoulder i'm more mm-hmm. concerned about the shoulder than freed it seems more fluky for freed and that he'll be back sooner rather than later even maybe ahead of schedule i just the kyle wright stuff scares me so with all that being said <clears throat> you look at the kid aj i'm just going to call him aj schaefer because whenever i see him in the, the tats on the arm i'm like oh we got our jordan schaefer of the starting rotation i didn't know i'd ever need another jordan schaefer but it's time um it's time to get the gang back together that being said, Dylan Dodd didn't work out. Jared Schuster uh, still let's eh, eh. And then Michael Soroka, who has just kind of been forgotten about to this point. Good Ooh. starts in Gwinnett. It looks like he may be back sooner rather than later. Are you are you still a believer in Soroka at this point, yeah. um, Garrett? And where does he fit with this team this year? Um. All right, so rolling through. So – Bryce Elder, I think, has been just a marvelous since he just had a sensational start to the season. And I, I mean, it's funny how the Braves just keep seeming to, to find guys like this. So the past, at least since 2019, well, really, every year, it seems like they've had some. 2018, they had Soroka, who kind of came out of nowhere, just being a, a young stud. And then 2019, ooh, I don't even know who had been in 2019, but 2020, what was it then? It was, uh, that was Ian Anderson. 2021, uh, mm-hmm. 2022 is Spencer Strider, and then, oh, man, I'm blanking right now. But you get the point. Like It just seems like there's always this youthful, uh, incredible player who, who just sort of comes out of nowhere when you're not really expecting him to come in and be as consistent as he is. And Bryce Elder is third in Major League Baseball in ERA among qualified starts. Mm. He's first in the National League. I don't think anybody was expecting that right now. He's been fantastic, especially considering the fact that he doesn't really have great stuff necessarily, at least by this generation standards, but he's just a, he's a placement pitcher. He, he gets ground balls, but the ground balls go right to a defender and it works and it's been working. I, I don't necessarily expect it to stay at this level, but as long as he keeps riding that wave, that mentality is so strong with him. I mean, you saw he, he was going up against the Dodgers on Thursday and, or I guess Wednesday, and he loads up, he gets runners on first and second, no outs, and then he gets out of the inning with unscathed. Like, that's that's veteran, veteran, uh, men- veteran mentality. Like, where it's like mm. he's just safe, he's even keeled, and I, I can't say enough good things about that. And Dylan Dodd, he had the kind of a shaky start the other yesterday, uh, albeit again against a very good lineup, but he's going to be making another start against Oakland. He hasn't been optioned yet. Uh, I just saw the reports that he's still in the clubhouse. So mm. if he's still in the clubhouse, that means he's going to be making a start uh, against Oakland on the road trip. So I uh, expect him to do that. Jared Schuster, I don't really know much about Jared Schuster, really. I-, I haven't really been following him too terribly closely, if I'm being completely honest, because I think the other guy you mentioned, Michael Soroka, is going to be the other guy who's the next call-up if we need him too. Because Soroka's biggest thing to this point in the season, at least in AAA, is his pitch count. 
He's had one mm-hmm. game where he exceeds six innings, I believe. He just did it again, his last start out there. I think it was on Wednesday or so, maybe a Tuesday mm-hmm. night. Um, he goes up and he uh, he pitched 95 pitches. I think he allowed one run or something like that. He had a great, it was a great game. Um, he looked to be in complete control. He was steady and something that I expect him to be making that start here in Atlanta very soon. And, I mean, could you think of a better roster for him to go up against than the Oakland Athletics? in his first major league baseball start since what 2021 or 2020, I guess in the COVID shortened season, there's yeah. no better, there's no better lineup for him to go up against. So why not call him up now? He's on, he's on target. He'll hit, he'll hit it. Um, is that or Smith Shaver or, or yes, Shaver? Yeah. I always say his name. I always mess his name up. Oh Who's yeah. Fast uh, tracking. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not expecting anytime soon, but I've, been wrong before because I didn't think Spencer Strider was going to get put as a starter. And then I didn't think um, Michael Harris was going to be called up anytime soon. So I was wrong twice. I was over two last year. So um, I'll just go ahead and say it. Smith Chauver's not getting the call up anytime soon and I'll be completely wrong. And he's going to end up winning rookie of the year or something like that. So that's what we want is like to, you need to doubt it. Like when you doubt it, like that's when you're more likely. That's to, it, man. Uh, I'm see. telling you, yeah. just keep doubting it. It'll be fine. And that's what I'm going to do with yeah. Smith Chauver too. Cause he's only made yeah. like, 25 starts or something in his professional career he did he was just in high a and then he gets bolted all the way up to triple a and gwinnett and it's just like all right man let's see how it goes a lot of mike fultonevich energy from him it seems like yeah which Fulty had some great stuff too it's just yeah this thing it just never really seemed to matriculate and that's again i'll say it again bryce elder has got that stuff man like that right up here where he doesn't have that pitching stuff he definitely has that mentality and, and I he think that's that just grit. so valuable. You got that dog, man. You got that dog. <laughs> I don't know if he's got that dog in him. I think we'll Spencer see. Strider's we'll got that dog Spencer in Strider him. is I think the dog. Bryce Held- yeah. Spencer Strider is the dog. Like, that's that's it. Uh, Garrett, does DeAndre Hopkins make sense for the Falcons? Because my galaxy brain is still a uh, friend of the pod, Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons, did a – to the show this week on uh, obviously the Falcons, but he mentioned Corey Davis and Hunter Renfro as his two top targets. Is like he was going back to the Michael Jenkins, Julio Jones, or Michael Jenkins and Roddy White era for that matter. And then they eventually went from Roddy White to Julio Jones, obviously back in the day. But one of the things that Arthur Smith really utilized and what the Falcons had, do not have anymore because of Lemonade mm-hmm. Zacchaeus is gone is they don't really have that third down go to guy, the underneath guy, the guy who's going to keep the chains moving. Um, Scotty Miller is just not proven enough to really be that guy. And there's just, you look at this roster right now and you don't really see him and Corey Davis, for whatever reason, um, didn't work out based on where he was drafted, but still in the league, still a solid pro. Like that makes more sense. Or Hunter Renfro is obviously the dream one, but I don't think the Raiders are going to move on from him anytime soon. So it's like that kind of player, but then you see all Falcons fans like D hop, D hop, D hop. It's like, the Falcons already really have a number one in, Drake London. They're not. I mean, not Drake D-hop. London. I, th- huh? They're not Wait, signing it. Well, no, it's not just that they're not signing it, but I don't think they need that kind of guy. Like, I don't no. think they need that kind of receiver. I think they need that underneath sure thing to make things easier for, uh, for, um, uh, Desmond Ritter. And I don't know if that ends up being Corey Davis. Maybe it does, but I just, I don't think D-Hop is needed. I think Kyle Pitts needs to be healthy. I think Drake London showed enough last year, and I think the target, and with Matt Collins as well, 
I don't think they need one other big guy, like just a big name, go get it downfield kind of guy. I just don't think this offense really needs that right now. I think they need um, that Hunter Renfro, Corey Davis type. But I don't know if they'll they'll add that. But does D Hop move the needle at all for you? Would you at least explore it if you're Atlanta? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd explore it. He's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, even if he's on the other side of the hill he's still one of the best players in, in the NFL as far as wide, the wide receiver position goes. And do I think that the Falcons are going to sign him? No. If they signed him, I would be shocked is probably not a strong enough term. Like I would be very, very surprised. Um, but I think you kind of hit it. They don't need him. I mean, he's not going to move the needle too much. You don't really need an X receiver. You, you, that, cause you got that in Drake London. And on top mm. of that, you've got, Kyle Pitts, who's coming back, who's going to eat up a lot of those carries. You have Bijan Robinson, who I think, who I think is actually going to fulfill that role that you were talking about, that Hunter Renfro type role where he's going to play underneath. Yeah, that would that's where he's going to be. He's going to come in mm-hmm. on third down. He's going to be playing all three downs. It's going to be him or Cordero Patterson. I I was I had some buddies who were up at Flowery Branch for OTAs. They already have him lined up at wide receiver. That's where he's that's where he's been lined up mm-hmm. all week and. He's going to do that. He's going to be in that position. So, no, I don't think that they're going to even approach it because he's going to what, what, $15 million, $20 million right now? Mm-hmm. They're not signing him for that. Like, it's, it's not happening. And I, I think wonder what his value is, though, other- The fact that he just got cut pre-June 1st, like, I just – there's something else there. Like, I don't know. Maybe Diop well, still has something left in the tank. Maybe he's still going to be fine and he'll go up on the Eagles or something. But it does kind of raise an eyebrow that the Cardinals did this and ate that whole, what, 20-something million dollars to cut him now. It's just very strange. Does it raise your other eyebrow that the, the Texans did the exact same thing? Oh. Hmm. Like, why are we talking? They wanted a first-round pick for D-Hop. The mm. Texans didn't even get a first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Everyone talked about how they undersold. They got David Johnson in, like, a third-round pick or something, a second-round pick. I don't know. Yeah, like a 30-year-old running back. Like, is there something up with D-Hop that we should know about? Like, that's really where my head goes when this is the second time this happened. He's a really talented player, but the team he he's 31 for in, this year. Has he really made tremendous impacts on his team outside of the fact or outside of like past his what age 27 season? Yeah. I mean, he was fantastic when he was with uh Deshaun Watson in Houston. But then after Watson left, I mean, he kind of fell off a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it was just age. Maybe it was just lack of good quarterback play. Uh, I'm not going to lay that at his feet necessarily, but he's a great wide receiver. He's one of the best in the NFL. Um, I think he'll be, he'll have plenty of suitors, a ton of people. And I just don't want, I don't see the Falcons getting into that bidding war. No, I don't either. Uh, But I like, I like your Hunter Renfro. I love a Hunter Renfro. He's one of those very underrated wide receivers. Yeah. I would like a hunter info on this team, but maybe they maybe they add him uh, this summer. Maybe they go into trade. Maybe it's a deadline type deal for them. Um, last thing here: early Hawks draft pick thoughts. Um, so we know where they're going to be at the bottom of the second round here, Garrett. Um, who could make sense for you? Who do you like? Um, Julian Phillips is obviously one you take a flyer on if you're the Atlanta Hawks. You that length uh, and potential there. Uh, obviously a rocky. <clears throat> not to pardon the pun here in Knoxville for Julian Phillips, but a lot of talent long grow. He's just 
he's someone you take a flyer on late in the second round where it's like if he puts it together if uh he can figure some stuff out uh offensively and just not do the tony snell thing where he's just getting cardio uh mm-hmm. for a lot of games like hey just you can never have too many long versatile wings who might pop like you could just never have too many of those guys and he could also spend some time uh with uh the college park skyhawks uh for a season or two so that's also a possibility as he gets ready because it's gonna be a crowded wing room and wing rotation uh to begin with don't you don't have to tell jalen johnson that um to this point but what uh what do you think about uh that late second round the middle of the first do you think they should keep the pick now that you've seen everything, what do you what do you think the Hawks should do? And who have you already done some some YouTube clip watching on? <laughs> I know Max is Max is our our uh, NBA draft guy. He's the dude who's really going to dive in really deep on this. Um, I've looked at Case on Case and Wallace from Kentucky. Mm. He's somebody who could be kind of interesting. Just looking at Kentucky guards in the NBA and how they've worked out as Shai Gil- just Alexander, Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. Maxi, Darren Fox. Like, am I saying he's going to be one of those guys? No, but they've got a long history of producing great guard play. And that's kind of goes back to what Calipari does. I mean, it's a specialty, you know, so taking a Kentucky guard wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but ultimately I, I'm looking for somebody who can consistently shoot three. Uh, if we're going to get a, uh, some guard or a forward or someone who can, I need a three-point shooter, man. We need some range. We've been lacking that so, so badly. Um, when Bogey kind of got it going later in the season, you saw the team was much better. Um, when Trey is shooting effectively from three, the team is much better. You need a you need a killer from three. And I think where the Hawks are, you're going to find specialists. You're not going to find a, a real stud necessarily. Occasionally you will, but... For the most part, I need somebody who's going to come in and do something effective, and that effective thing, hopefully, is shooting the three. Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what they do with this because they're already really crowded. And now I'm thinking about it, like who was the last Kentucky player the Hawks drafted? Who would that have been? Do you know off the top of your head? Because I don't. Nobody rings a bell. They have not really drafted any Kentucky. No, guys. not really. really. I mean, gone you think about most. Most of the Kentucky dudes have been gone. Or they're off the. They were off the board, for the most part. When they were like, they had like the the really powerful years, like back in the mid two twenty tens. The Hawks were in the playoffs. So they're always did the gone. Hawks draft Randolph Morris? Maybe in the second round or something like that. Was that one right? Oh, like, in the I first like, round. Pick. Was he a hawk? I feel like Randolph <clears throat> Morris was a hawk, and he was the. Like, I know we've guy. had we've yeah. had Kentucky players like we had Rajon Rondo yeah. or something, but. Right, but I don't know if we drafted them per se. It's been That's a while. Like, it's I don't know if we weird. drafted a like Kentucky we haven't player. Drafted one. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing rings a bell there. But you know who they love is Duke Wings, like AJ Griffin. They love their Duke Wings, Johnson. But they can't do it this they year because they're all coming back to Duke. Like Duke's returning four starters, so there's no one they can draft there. We'll no see. one available. We'll so see. I, I think it's going to be a very interesting summer. Um, do they keep that pick? That's a question. I really could would not be surprised if they end up trading the pick because um, mm-hmm. you might need it in order to flip one of these paid guards. Like if you're going to trade DeAndre Hunter, you might need to include that first round pick or something just to kind mm-hmm. of butter the pan a little bit and uh, and maybe get some recoup, some equitable value for DeAndre Hunter. I, I don't know if that's going to be what they're doing. There are a lot of different things that they can do. 
with that pick. I, I'm not 100% sold that they're going to use it. Um, but if they do, like I said, just get me a three-point shooter. Get somebody who can be consistent from from range and just add something to this lineup, a 3 and D guy, someone who can develop into something bigger. And that's, I mean, that's what this team sorely lacked this year, and hopefully they can get that from the draft this year. Yeah, and we'll see who stays and who goes a part of this new staff with Igor. It's going to be a fun offseason. Uh, it is going to be fun because I'm very curious if they stand pat and Quinn saw enough that he's cool with this core and just really small tinkering and just be like, give me a full offseason with this group and let me see what happens because I don't know. I think John Collins has to be gone and I love John. I'm <clears> just <throat> He has to be the odd man out because you have to start with some more spacing this hat there has to be better shooting in the starters they just have to play more shooter friendly offenses and yeah jalen johnson and sadiq bay have to be the rotation at the four like i just don't think you can do that and then it's aj griffin and deandre hunter rotating at the three i just you have to find whatever combination of those four they need to be playing almost all the 48 minutes when healthy at, at those two wing spots because that's where your value is that's for the versatility is and i understand john was shooting better from three down the stretch there but the spacing's ever like you're never gonna feel great about John Collins with Clint Capella opening these games offensively, especially with Dejounte Murray now in the fold, who's still just a very no. He's not scaring defenses with his three, and it's just with the way the game is played now. I don't, I don't feel good about it, and I don't think Quinn is gonna go basic. I don't want to say three non-shooters, but it's three, one non-shooter and two shooters that defenses are not terrified of closing out on. Which yeah. look, it's just. That's a lot of pressure on Trey. He's not going to sit on his on hands DeAndre this offseason. I'll tell you that much. He's no. not sitting on his hands. I, I think that one of it seems like Inyeka there's a genuine Kong love Capella, though, too. I just think one of Inyeka Kong or Clint Capella, and I think it's going to be Clint. I really think it's going to be Clint because he offers less than Inyeka does. Just my opinion. Good player. Trey's and I love not Clint. signing off on that. Trey's not signing off on the Clint departure. So what? You've got you've got Quinn Snyder. He just signed in here. Like, look. I think Trey, Trey, if he's bought into the process, he'll figure it out and he'll work it out with Quinn. I, I can't, there's a reason I, I'm just so tired of players trying to think that they can, I'm not saying he's doing this either. And I'm not saying you're saying this either, but players who think that they can dictate or should dictate who the next head coach is or what roster moves are going to be, or should can or should be made. It's just such a detriment to that team. It rarely works. And the vast majority of the time it blows up in their face. I mean, Kevin Durant begged and pleaded for them to, for the, the, the Nets to hire uh, Steve Nash. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And that's just the most recent example of this. I mean, these guys get signed. They want to go play with their buddies or whatever. Screw that. You're, you're here to win basketball games, and you have a president of basketball operations. Let him go do it. Let him do his job. You know, and like, I think in Yeko Kongwu, you can, he can't sit on the bench for this long. He needs more playing time, and he needs time, and he's he's the only person who can actually develop a three. Clint Capella is not well, shooting we'll a three anytime soon. I mean, yeah. We'll see if he can shoot two threes a game. That's a win for me in Inyaka Kongwu. And if you do that, you can go sign a Cody Zeller or something to come off the bench. It doesn't have oh, to be wow. sexy. It doesn't have to be great. Go get a bench center. It's fine. Somebody who can shoot a three or at least some form of range. And you do that, and I think this team is going to be better. Uh, what would Look, you do if they trade for Rudy Gobert in a three-teamer this summer? That's not happening. Rudy Gobert is not coming to Atlanta. I'd be blown away. It would be they would have to undersell on Rudy so badly 
They're just not doing I think it. they would do anything to get off that contract. If the Hawks really jumped at it, I think they would get off that contract yesterday. Yeah, and I don't know if I don't know if the the, the general manager of the, the Wolves they have to give it another year. Yeah. They have to give it another year. I can't. They have to justify it. They paid way too much money. They they sent way too many assets over there to uh, to Utah for him. Would you do Trey for Carl Anthony Towns? No. Okay. No. 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 Trey. Trey is okay. should be a top 15, 20 player in the league. I don't see. Can Kat you say the that. same about Cat? Okay. No. Cat's no. I'm not saying that. Cat also is injury prone. He is. Yeah. He's not going to have the longevity of Trey, and Trey's also 24 years old. So, no, I'm not doing that. What is Cat? Trey is a great. What? What is Cat? Cat's got to be. Cat's like 28, I think. He's like 28. No way. No way. I would say 26. 20. There's 27. I'd say that's my that's my gamble. 27. He just turned 27. He's older than Trey, but he's also been injury yeah. prone. He misses he misses large chunks of the year. Misses yeah. guaranteed to miss forty games, basically. And I'm not doing that. I don't need that. Um, but like Dejounte Murray, are, like are we still sold that Dejounte Murray is going to be here in an Atlanta uniform next year? I'm not. I'm not completely sold. That's going to be the case. Uh, do I think one of Clint Capella or Nyeka Kongu is going to be gone? Yes, I think one of them will be gone. DeAndre Hunter, I think, will be here. I think Trey Young will be here. Bogey Bogdanovich might be here. I would assume he's going to be here just because of the. Uh, I think Bogey better be here, man. I will. I be think there's an extension I, I, issue with him, so it's like I think it would have to be a deadline move. Not. I don't think they can move him this off season just because I, that, that maybe that's just in my head. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think a lot of those contracts, if you sign an extension, you have to be on the roster. I think for the next couple of months or something. Yeah, it's like the end of December or something. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's like, like December. December. Yeah, something like that. So um, I think that well, we'll see. a lot of these guys could be moved. John Collins is another guy who I think could is probably the most likely to be moved. We'll see. We've said that for years, and he's still somehow the man. The man sticks around. And I'm so. glad. I'm happy for it. I love John. Mm-hmm. I love cheering for John. He's one of those guys that buy his jersey and wear it. We talked about Marcelo Zuna earlier. He's the antithesis of Marcelo Zuna. Same number. Oh, that's ironic. That's some irony. How about that? Good eye. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even think about that. He's literally the antithesis of Marcelo Zuna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Uh, Garrett Chapman, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at 24-7 Sports? It doesn't look like uh, Haynes King's going to be starting for the Jackets this fall. We'll see. We'll see. I know it's between him and uh, like Zach Pyron, the other guy, and Zach Gibson, and mm. it's a three-way horse, a three-horse race right now. I'd be a little. I think it's going to go all the way through fall camp. So I'm not. I'm not willing to uh, necessarily say it's going to be a decided race. Uh, definitely not right now. So I would be a little surprised if Haynes King doesn't get an opportunity to start at least two or three games this fall. Okay. I'd be Nighttime the game. W Millennials show this Back weekend. On Monday. Or no? Back on Monday. There you yes, go. sir. Six to ten. Six to ten. Dopey Millennials on Monday. That's a long show, man. Y'all just That's love it. Night show, the game. You love those four-hour shows at night on the game. Or five hours. What is Dukes and Bell? Five? Five hours. They're five hours. It's probably There's the no most way. incredible show like in the country. Five hours every se- single day. You could offer me $17 million a year to do that. I wouldn't do it. No way. $17 million? I'd do a lot of things. I would, I would still do a lot no. of things. 
I would be so exhausted and just my quality of life would be so diminished from having to do that for five hours straight. Like I would do it if I could break it up. Like no question. It would be easy. Like no question at all. If I had to talk for five hours a day like that, I could break it up five hours straight. I don't know, man. I don't know well, what kind of teeth they're chugging. Of talking to. That's true. Like it, I leave after a three hour show or something and I'm exhausted four hours. Even if I'm doing it with a partner, I'm fried. Like, when I, I listen to your W millennials, when I'm doing stuff around the house, sometimes I, it's funny to me because Garrett's uh, for the good folks, go check it out if you haven't already. And it's on demand on Spotify, Apple podcast, wherever you get your podcast. But it, it's funny because I host this show and Garrett's a guest. And I was on a show last night as a guest. And it's just funny when the roles are reversed because yeah. you sound so much like a radio host. And it's such a different Garrett than what we get on this <laughs> show because he's just like the lead. Well, it's it's just, so much more structured. I can't. And I, and yeah. I can. Yeah. There's pacing. The pacing is always completely different. But you're and a people, host. Like, you're guiding the ship. It's just more yeah, interesting. Exactly. I never see you guide, guide the ship like that. It's fun. We have a lot of fun with it. But it's, uh, no, I mean, we enjoy it. I mean, we have a lot of fun. And, I mean, I love I love doing radio. Radio's a lot of fun. If yeah. you're not having fun with radio, I don't know what you're doing. There you go. We'll leave it there. Garrett Chapman, always a pleasure from down there in Atlanta, Georgia. For me, Beautiful. up here at in uh, East Tennessee, Knoxville, Random Park, Farragut. Random Park over here. Just look. Commitment Did the jogger to the come grind. back around? No, the jogger left. I mean, that would have been a lot because that's a, he's been doing several laps, so I don't see him. So I think he's... Uh, the jogger has called it for the day. <laughs> this is great. Great content. Great content. We love it. I never thought I would Things do a pod at, uh, at a park, but you know. Here we are. Here's your buddy I didn't list. want to do a library because I thought it would I'd be too loud. I didn't want to do a coffee ah, shop. Yeah, library I too loud. To hear. Like a breakout yeah. room, maybe. It's yeah, a summer. Maybe I'll just do that next time. Yeah, you can find whatever. a breakout room or something. Yeah, I could do it. All right, Gary Chapman, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.